Welcome to We Hear Her. I'm Erin Trenbeth-Murray, and I'm here today with another amazing woman who is sharing her story and insights into life lessons learned. there. I'm Erin Trenbeth-Murray and welcome to the We Hear Her podcast with Women Who Succeed. I have been looking forward to this interview all night. I kept waking up because my good friend Rochelle is so much fun that I know we're going to have a great time with this conversation. So I haven't known Rochelle that long, probably a year, but it feels like 10 years because she's such a vulnerable and open book, which I love. Let me tell you a little bit about Rochelle's background. She is the co-founder and managing director of Railroad Capital, an early stage venture fund based in Utah. She has spent her career collaborating and advising significant families on balance sheet optimization. Having spent 12 years at Goldman Sachs, three years at J.P. Morgan Chase, and one year at Crestone Capital, then she launched Red Rove Capital and while most of her energy is focused on building Utah's newest seed stage venture fund, Rochelle also consults with the Utah-based wealth management firm, The Norton Group. Rochelle is passionate about building community and democratizing access to opportunity, especially for women and girls in Utah. She is like, oh, I love this part. <laughs> this is the best. Well, you didn't like that last line? I did, but this is good. <laughs> Rochelle serves on both startup and nonprofit boards, which we know she volunteers everywhere. But when she's not working, she is evangelizing the benefits of cold showers, hot saunas, and trips to Mexico or Hawaii to maintain sanity during the Utah winters. She's originally from Houston, Texas, so that makes sense that she is a little soft on the Utah <laughs> winters. She studied information systems at BYU and loves being in Salt Lake City. So, Rochelle, thanks for being here with me today. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I was so flattered when you called me yesterday. Well, asking yes, but <laughs> I, that's because I got mixed up on the dates. I thought you were next month, so I got a little confused, but I'm so glad you could come. Absolutely. But Pleasure that, sitting in the seat. That just goes to your personality. Like everything since I've met you, and maybe it hasn't even been a year yet, it's just like, sure, I can do that. Sure, I can manage that. Sure, I can handle that. I mean, how are you not constantly overwhelmed with everyone you know, everyone you connect with? Um, it's just uh, quite the lifestyle you have. Yeah, well, uh, I'm an extroverted extrovert. <laughs> I like to describe it. <laughs> and I love humans. And the way that I learn is through human interaction. Uh, so I could read books and articles and all of those things, which I do. But really, the things that stick in my brain are conversations and mm -hmm. learning mm -hmm. through other humans who are subject matter experts in all sorts of different fields. And so I just feel like I'm a student of humans. Um, <laughs> I love that why. And the funny part is you really can um, optimize that because I think I'm somewhat of a connector. I love to introduce people just to lift one another and to give support to another human being. But oh my gosh, you're like 120% what I am, it's amazing how much you keep in your mind and then remember or recall and say, you know who you need to meet? You know who you need to meet? I need to introduce you. And it just because you love people. 
Well, I love people. And while I was at Goldman in Texas, I read an article one day. So I do actually read. Uh, <laughs> but our, our team, so Goldman set up where you are sitting on trading desks. And so, you know, my boss, who is making five times as much as I was, was like two desks away from me, right? And so as a pod, as a team, you're interacting with each other all day, collaborating, and uh, and working with clients, right? And so we would, as a team, read an article of the day and then discuss it in the afternoon. So we had all day to read that article while blending in with our regular work. And then as like a break from just like the day-to-day -day grind, we would talk about uh, the article of the day. So that one talked about how we as humans when we believe that we are not as intelligent as the person we're having a conversation with, then we actually become dumber oh, because wow. our brain goes into like fight or flight mode. Uh, and so then your, your, your neurons, whatever, they're not, they're not processing the way that you would if you had, if you were at ease and felt like you were equally intelligent with the person next to you, which is why like, you walk into an elevator and there's someone who's like prominent mm -hmm. a lot of times it's like cat got your tongue or because you're all of a sudden thinking oh my gosh this isn't like this is this person and then your brain just like shuts down yes <laughs> well and i you know it's funny you so, say that because i talked to a woman the other day in women who succeed and she asked me she's like do you ever have imposter syndrome i'm like well yeah all the all the time, all the time. But I think it's that, that like what kind of what you just described. I mean, oh. you get in a situation and you're checking yourself and wondering, am, am I bright enough? Am I intellectual enough? Do I understand what they're saying? And what do they think of me? Think of me. And, uh, and so I saw a hilarious meme the other day where it was a woman looking in the mirror and it says, are you even good enough to have imposter syndrome? And I <laughs> laughed so hard. I was like, that's the perfect imposter syndrome meme I've seen. But uh, so after reading that article, I kind of just challenged myself, hey, when you're meeting people, turn off the part of that brain that is wondering what they think of you and wondering like for yourself, if you are as smart or mm -hmm. as intelligent or mm -hmm. beautiful or whatever as this other person, turn that off and just focus on connecting. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that that has turned into a little bit of a superpower for myself over the last 10 years, because it was probably about 10 years ago when I read the article of just like people at the end of the day, regardless of what is on their business card, um, and what's the title next to their name and how many letters they have next to their name. They're still as humans, yep. you know, so let's connect as humans and then build off of that. And so I think that's why I then have this ability to recall details about people where then I can connect mm -hmm. um, people to each other in a efficient, effective way. Yeah. Um, and I just love it. I love when my friends become friends with each other yeah. and I'm not the middleman or woman yeah. to yeah. that friendship. Well, I think it's just a super authentic, it's a very genuine, authentic approach that you're curious about other people, you really want to understand them, and that then because it's authentic, it stays it stays with you. You know, you're, you're really paying attention to who they are as a person. Speaking of intelligence, I want to ask you. So you got your degree in information systems. Yes. 
and then went into the financial world. But what you're doing now is different than really what you had done previously um, at, at Goldman or JP. And I'd love to understand like how you made that leap, what that transition was like for you. Oh my goodness. Well, I ended up studying information systems because I took computer science my sophomore year and it was the first class at BYU that really like punched me in the face and told me, wake up, you need to pay attention. You're not the smartest person on this campus. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was like, I'm not going to study computer science, but uh, I was already interested in, in being a business major. And so then I focused on information systems within the business school. And while I was studying information systems, Goldman Sachs recruited me. And, uh, and so then I kind of just like fell in love with this notion of the money system and how banks are just at the heart of everything that's happening uh, in the world. Like money, like you can't get anything done without money. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, I'm just grateful that Goldman wanted to hire me. And then uh, once I was in the seat at Goldman, Right. Then I got exposure to private wealth offices. So I started in the Salt Lake office and kind of a systems role. OK. Uh, and but we were supporting the private wealth management business. Mm -hmm. And so it took me maybe two months to realize that I wanted to work in private wealth management. And then that's when I uh, transferred to the Dallas office about a year later and uh, got to work with significant families in Texas for the next decade. And uh, and so. What I'm doing now, which is being a venture capitalist, uh, I'm investing in, you know, fast growing startups that often are, you know, software companies. Mm. And if not software companies, then they're tech enabled. So all of a sudden I'm leveraging things that I learned from my degree, you know, 17 years ago that I have read about here and there almost like a hobby like picking up a wired magazine and yeah you know obviously twitter and and things like that but um it's it's kind of a marriage of the two uh industries so uh working with significant families over the last 16 years of my career you know we would look at venture capital as a asset class to invest in you know for the whole balance sheet. Mm -hmm. So they're investing in real estate and, you know, large cap public stocks, right? And small cap and mid cap, and I could get into all the jargon and then, you know, bonds. But then venture capital was like this little sleeve of portfolios. So I've, I've looked at venture funds for the last several years. It was already it, part. It was already mm -hmm. part. So I feel like the cast of characters I'm working with are all the same. It's just I'm now wearing a different hat at the table. You're a different character. I'm a different, yeah. I'm a different character. Yeah, but like it's the, still the same people uh, yeah. because I worked with founders prior who, you know, built, scaled, sold tech companies and then they would become clients of mine, right? So mm -hmm. like I'm used to working with founders except now I'm like risk on with founders before they've, you know, really proven their idea and so I'm joining the roller coaster ride with them and I'm loving it. Well it's perfect for your personality. Let's just say that. I have a feeling you <laughs> yeah. like roller coasters. I have a feeling you drag people onto roller coasters. 
Um, so when you look back, when you said, you know, I got my degree 17 years ago, when you look back on your career, your education, your family life, what do you think has been the highlight? One of the, the big highlights of your life? Oh, big highlights of life. Uh, well, as you know, uh, we're, we're having a bit birthday party for me tonight. We sure. <laughs> and I'm so grateful to my friend, our friend, Emily Bell McCormick, who called me a couple weeks ago and said, I'm hosting a birthday party for you and you can't say no. And, uh, and so then she kind of dare challenged me to invite 200 women. And so I did. So it's going to be just like this massive girls night out. And it's like, you know, it's women's month, March. Yep. Right. So, uh, but just seeing the names on the invite list and people, you know, RCPing and people who are excited to come. And if they, they can't come, it's because they're traveling. I feel like the luckiest woman in the world. You know, if you had told 10-year-old Rochelle mm -hmm. that this is what my life would be like at 38, mm -hmm. first of all, I think my my brain would explode. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? You know, venture capital? <laughs> like, what? You know? And, and so uh, when I was in my 20s, I was, you know, just doing the grind of, of Goldman Sachs. And I felt like I was kind of in this, like, talent incubator of sorts. Mm where it was super competitive yeah. uh, at Goldman. They expect you to be excellent. And if you're not, then you're not going to be there for very long. Um, and but as long as you, you know, just put in the daily effort of showing up and saying, I'm here, I'm here to work hard. I'm here to be excellent and I'm here to learn. Mm -hmm. Then then like I just grew incrementally in my 20s at Goldman. And it really was uh, J.P. Morgan uh, calling me out of the blue in 2018 and saying, hey, we want you to move to Salt Lake and launch a private bank here with, you know, this team of people that uh, I then had to think to myself, am I going to bet on myself now? Mm -hmm. Am I going to take all of this experience that I had at Goldman over the last 12 years and I'm going to bet on myself and believe that I can move to a new market with a new bank, new colleagues? and be successful and that was like kind of scary yeah uh and then got here and you know just showed up each and every day in 2018 or 2019 and then 2020 covid right and that was crazy but somehow the business kept growing during covid which i'm so grateful for and uh and over the last four years in utah i've really come to learn and understand and appreciate how building community is one interaction at a time. Because um, I kind of had like a, a blank slate moving here. Right. I had to hit the reset button and build a network for myself um, in Salt Lake and Park City and Utah County and Davis County and even down in St. George and then just one lunch at a time, one meeting at a right, time. Right, right. Um, and then those introductions. I mean, that's the beauty of, of Utah in so many ways is that web of connections so you're living your best life now <laughs> right now you know i mean but i also cried at the nail salon yesterday yeah well, <laughs> well i'm sorry about that no, 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 no. but i was just like i'm a human right yeah like i looked up things like that for sure 100 percent. and i think the vulnerability um you and i spoke about this a little bit before the podcast started you've also endured a lot of tragedy and grief with the loss of your sister. Yeah. And 
I'm, how does a person who, you know, it's a dichotomy, you're so strong, you know, and there's no words to describe uh, really your, your work ethic, your tenacity, your strength, your outer image, but to go through something so tragic um, with your sister, how do you reconcile that within yourself? And I know you celebrate her each year. Yes. And um, I just how how do you how do you console others or give guidance or wisdom to others who've experienced a loss like that? Well, right. Well, so the reason why I cried yesterday at the nail salon was because you had sent me a list of potential podcast questions. And so I started scanning through. And one of them was, if you could relive a day in your life, what day would that be? Mm. And it, I immediately had a, a trip to New York with my sister, Madeline, uh, Mad Maddie's, how I always called her, uh, in Marche. And Maddie was in high school, Marche was in the eighth grade, and just this like memory of taking my sisters to New York. I was living in Dallas at the time, and it was just this like perfect trip. And I was thinking about it, and then all of a sudden just tears, you know, and just, oh, the, the, the combination of like joy of that perfect weekend, and then the pain of knowing I'm not gonna have another memory creation with Maddie um, during the rest of my life. And, you know, so she passed away as a freshman at BYU um, in a car accident right before Thanksgiving. And uh, she was nine years younger than me. Her crib was in my room. I mean, she was my first sister. Uh, I grew up second of seven children. And, uh, and so her birth and existence changed my life. You know, just Maddie just existing changed my life. Um, and she was my, my mini me. And, uh, you know, we just had this like uh, relationship of unadulterated love and adoration for each other is like the best way that I've been able to describe it. And, uh, and so of course you lose that person in your life and, and Maddie just like has a part of my heart that's just like Madeline Rose, real estate, you know, and here's the remarkable thing, though, with grief and us as humans, we are wired for survival. And so I feel like my heart has grown since Maddie's passing. Right. And like the muscles of the heart do whatever they can to operate around that like wound in the heart that's called Maddie Rose grief, mm -hmm. right? And uh, and that's where like, I feel like I live my life in a bigger way, bolder way. And, uh, and it's, it may seem counterintuitive on the surface, but uh, one of the most beautiful things about having lost this sister um, so unexpectedly early in life uh, and having to navigate, like, I've lost this person where it's just like pure, unadulterated love, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. um, is that a few years after her passing, I woke up one day and realized I'm happy. You know, I mean, it and wasn't, she, it she wasn't, want you to be. <laughs> yes, yes, of course she, she would, would want me to. Um, but waking up and being like, wait a second, you know, and then, and then it took me another couple of years to realize, wait, 
I'm happy, you know, nine out of 10 days of the year. So we'll, we'll take that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but there's still this grief, right? Sure. But I'm happy. So wait a second. If life is like a series of hellos and then ultimately goodbyes, which we don't ever want to think about the goodbyes, I said goodbye unexpectedly to my first sister, you know, and I'm happy within a few years. I can live and love and embrace the chance to be a friend with Aaron Trenbeth Murray, right? Because I know at some point there's going to be a goodbye, but that's okay because I survived that goodbye. Mm -hmm. So I can survive any goodbye now. So embrace the hellos embrace the present with each person and uh and i think that's that's honestly the greatest gift that she's given me in death is me knowing that i can just love and be present no rochelle i just gosh wow i uh i really don't have any words because that's so beautiful and it explains so much of why you're bigger than life why you're so bold and um, such a beautiful friend to so many people. And I just, it's a privilege, it's a privilege to call you my friend. <laughs> my goodness, I'm like holding back hard on the, on the tears, but. Well, and I'm so grateful for you and, and for so many friends in my life who are, I feel like true mentors and champions in my corner, you know? And, um, and I think, you know, I, I think about women I've gotten to know in Utah and I'm kind of tired of the rhetoric that Utah's the worst state for women mm. because moving here was the best thing I could have done with my life in my thirties. And I plan on being here for decades to come. Good. You know? Good, because you can't go anywhere. <laughs> we won't let you. Especially especially now that I know where you live. Yeah, now that we live within a couple miles of each other. Uh, yeah, no, but I just you know, Utah can be a fantastic place for women to thrive. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just think about strong women who just lean into solving problems in our community. And the fact that I've had access to them, that they're so giving of their time and their knowledge and their wisdom. And many of these women have sat in this chair. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I have big shoes to fill by just sitting in this mm -hmm. chair today. But, you know, Becky Edwards with her mm -hmm. Senate campaign last year, I mean, what a force. And that somehow she recruited me into the whole thing and I got a front row seat to just who she is. She is authentically amazing. Yeah, she's gotta, she's gotta run again for yeah. something. she's amazing. <laughs> And then, you know, Sid Tetro, you asked, how did I make the leap into being a venture capitalist? Uh, Sid Tetro was the woman who said, jump. What's the worst thing you're that's going to happen? It doesn't work out. And then you go back to being a, a successful banker. Like, that's your worst case scenario, Rochelle. Right, right. That's good advice. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm jumping. I'm Let's jumping. go, right? And uh, And then I think about... Robin Rich, who is the mm -hmm. first woman to be CEO of Deseret News. Yep. And she is someone where it's just like, everything's figure outable. And it's like, everything is so figure outable that sometimes she doesn't even fi finish her sentences because it's like, well, no duh. Like, 
you know, let's keep going. Like, let's not get stuck and bogged down in this problem. Um, and, uh, and then I think about, you know, Emily Bell McCormick and what she's done with the policy project and, um, advocating for social change and democratizing mm -hmm. access to classrooms right. for, uh, for those from, you know, underprivileged communities. And she does so by, by going to the top of the house and working with the legislature on enacting policy change rather than just, you know, trying over and over again to, to triage problems you know, mm -hmm. that are happening in the schools. Like, yeah. let's go have real conversations. All of these women inspire me and so many more do. So many, such yes. a huge list. Well, you're, you are <laughs> right there. And I wanna thank you for spending time with us today because your vulnerability and your strength um, just touched me so much. Mm. And I really want to embrace hello. That's gonna be, that's gonna, what we're gonna do. We're gonna go forward and embrace hello. Uh, thank you to Rochelle for being here today, and thank you for joining us for the We Hear Her podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to hear her. Join our efforts and learn more about women who succeed at womenwhosucceed.org. A big thank you to our sponsor, the Clark and Christine Ivory Foundation.